Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocking Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, your pre-4th of July edition. Uh, we are coming up on the long weekend, so you hope you all have a great time. Uh, blow things up, but not yourself, please. That wouldn't be bad. Uh, and celebrate America by doing the thing that our forefathers did best, which was light things on fire and eat meat. Uh, BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Nate. It's good to be back with you here today, uh, talking a little recruiting and some scheduling. It is officially the offseason, folks. God. Welcome to late June, early July. It cannot get more late June than recruiting <laughs> and scheduling, frankly. Uh, but yes, Missouri had an addition to its future uh, future roster. We got our sixth commitment of the 2023 football class. His name is Nicholas Deloach. He is currently a wide receiver playing out of Cahokia, Illinois, Cahokia High School. Uh, he is listed at 6'1", 170. If you know high school recruiting, you know he's probably like 5'11", 140. Uh, but he is a uh, 5.53 star committed on the 26th. And drum roll, please, he's going to be playing corner. So, his high school tape is a little bit of everything. Uh, most of it is wide receiver stuff, which looks fine. Uh, but this is, you know, for for all of the recruiting bluster that we know about the Drinkwood staff, they do go out and get kind of mid to low three stars. And this is one of those gets, and they see something in this receiver uh, that they feel like he can contribute in the secondary in a couple years, and that's why they got him. Uh, he was unranked um, until recently. Uh, apparently, he he balled out at the seven on seven that Missouri put up. Uh, got an offer, and he took it. So, BK, kind of a an interesting story, anyway, as far as an addition to the roster. Uh, what did you make of his commitment, and what do you think long term of what his impact can be? Stop me if you've heard this one before, Nate. But he's a guy that is really long, really athletic, and hopes to have high upside at the position of cornerback. Oh, <laughs> like, interesting. In other words, he is the prototype. This is what Mizzou wants, right? Like they're, they're shooting for, uh, I think the way that they look at it, Nate, is basically, hey, if we need guys that can play corner, we can go to the transfer portal or we can go to JUCO to find a guy that is going to be an average cornerback. With their high school recruiting and with some of the guys that they've taken in the transfer portal as well, especially this year, they're looking for upside. They're trying to hit like, hey, who is the three star that could become a five star? Who is the guy that maybe doesn't have a ton of experience at the position that because of his athleticism and his length projects two years from now to be a stud maybe at the position? Mm -hmm. And that's what they've been doing. That's what they're clearly trying to do with this commitment. And I got to be honest with you, I, I like that style of recruiting at this position. If you can hit on the right kind of athlete, you can teach them how to play corner. Mm -hmm. But you can't really get a like decent corner that doesn't have the size, doesn't have the length, doesn't have the speed to be able to play at a super high level in this conference. The hit rate on those kinds of guys is just super low. So I like the way that they're going about it. And this is just kind of the latest on a long line of players that they've gone through with that in mind. Yeah, it's it's a long term play, which is fine. I'm I'm I am all about that. I've talked about long term builds and how I feel like that's how the staff should be operating and how I don't believe they always do that. But uh, yeah, this is an investment. And if you're looking for uh, market inefficiencies in recruiting, which a school like Missouri needs to do, this is one way to do it. Like you said, get the players you need through the portal and then build a, a young roster, a, a roster that can grow into something more through your high school recruiting. We have seen this work before and you don't have to go all that far back. Chris Abrams train. 
came in as a wide receiver, played a little bit of receiver that, that the 2020 pandemic year. Uh, but he eventually switched to corner towards the end of that year. And then frankly became Missouri's best corner last year and probably Missouri's best corner heading into this year. So this stuff works. Like you said, if you find an athlete, you can teach them to the corner position. If you have good coaches and Missouri believes that they do. So this is not some reach. This is not some crazy plan. Coaches do this all the time. And the Drinkwood staff has already had success doing something like this. Uh, so yeah, he, his height and weight fits the prototype. His development fits the prototype. This is the sort of thing that they're going to do. Uh, and that that's fine. It's just, you're not going to see him play immediately. Uh, this is more of a, we'll see him pop up in 24, 25, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's not the same thing because Sistrunk had the experience of playing the position, but Davion Sistrunk was the same idea. Like he was, he was an athlete who had great length, who they're hoping to build into a really good corner. You know, that, that again, he had the experience at the position, but LJ Hewitt, same concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's six yeah. foot two. He's 185 pounds. Let's see if we can build him into a cornerback. He's coming out of Juco. When you watch his film down in Juco, it's all over the place in terms of his, um, his technique at the position. But, mm-hmm. You can see the tools are there to become a really good player. Drayden Norwood, there's basically no film of him as a defensive back. He played he's played quarterback in high school. He went to Texas A&M, had essentially no experience there on the field as a corner. And so you're just, again, preying on upside there. So it it's something they have clearly shown a propensity to do. And they're taking one more gamble with that. And I think there's going to be more of these, whether it be in this class or future classes, they have shown you at this point, this is what they want at the position. Mm-hmm. And now we get to find out over the next couple of years if it works or not. But I think it's the right move. Like you said, Chris Abrams train was was basically this. Now, he doesn't have the length. It's a little bit different of a bet. He's sure. more of a like pure slot. Mm-hmm. But these guys on the outside, they're trying to find players that can fit into that criteria. And it's really hard to find them. They are. It's so rare to find guys that are six one with that kind of length that play corner in high school. Most of those guys are on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you do have to make this transition in college. And, you know, I, I asked Eli Drinkwitz in his first off season, the summer of 20, I was like, you seem to only be recruiting corners who are six, one and taller. Why do you want to do that? And I don't think he was a huge fan of the question, but he answered it. He said, you know, if the taller you are, the lanky you are, you can play the passing lanes. You can reach your arms. I didn't have longer arms. And you just you're you're a bigger wall and pass defense if you're playing zone. Okay, perfect. You know that's he wanted that type of corner. You know Ryan Walters liked to play man, and you know Steve Wilkes was advertised to play a lot of zone, and so he he likes that concept. Blake Baker has used a lot of zone concepts in his secondaries prior, so this is what an Eli Drinkwitz defense wants to be: really long corners that can swat stuff away and be longer in the passing lane than you know, some shorter guy who's quick and can stick to you. And that's fine. You know, if you've, if you've got a scheme that you're recruiting to, you have that identity you can recruit to that makes your recruiting even more effective because you know exactly who you're looking for. Uh, and like you said, at the high school level, you got to score points. So your best athletes are almost always going to be on the offensive side. If they have that athleticism that can translate, you know, it's like, look, your best player is probably playing offense we could see him making that same kind of impact on defense. And and that's what the college college coaches can do. Um, so it's, I mean, you're not seeing, you're not seeing quarterbacks transfer, you know, become linebackers in college all the time, but you know, that concept is still there. Running backs turn into linebackers all the time. 
receivers turn into corners all the time. It's not always easy to do. It's not just a, you know, flip your hips and you're on the other side and voila, you're done. Like there is some technique that you have to learn, but this sort of thing, you know, this sort of approach, taking athletes and training them up. God, Gary Pinkle did it all the time. Kansas state did it all the time. Underdogs do this sort of thing all the time. And finding those inefficiencies is how you can close the gap or start to close the gap between teams that can just, you know, buy the, the best player in the, in the recruiting class. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. You know, Chris Abrams dream was kind of a unique situation where he had the talent and there was a gaping hole for him to, to jump in. Um, ideally Missouri doesn't have that same gaping hole. So we won't see Nick for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I am, I am okay with this philosophy. It is a long-term one, but as long as they stick to it, um, yeah, we'll see Nick in a couple of years and hopefully he's a, he's a productive member of the tiger secondary. Yeah. If you, if you're an NFL fan, like the Seattle Seahawks, exclusively looked for long corners for a number of years under Pete Carroll and that cover three system that they previously ran. Now they've gone to a little bit more of like a multiple defense, but San Francisco, it's the same thing. They run more of a like two shell defense. And you could see that in um, Tampa has done some of that stuff. And you've seen it now in Denver as well under Vic Fangio when he was there. So uh, this stuff has kind of started to enter the NFL too. And you look at Minnesota, it's a little bit different, right? Like their, their system, uh, the way that they go about it, the Vikings, it's all physical corners. So everybody's mm -hmm. got a different style of what they're looking for at that position. But as long as you have a specific scope within which you're looking for, like you can find players. It's just a matter of knowing what you're looking for. And it, it's becoming clear, like Mizzou has a type at the position. Um, mm -hmm. And as long as you've got a plan, I can follow it. I just want to make sure that you've got a plan. And they clearly have a, spot, a plan at that spot. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of plans, speaking of recruiting plans, uh, Missouri had a hell of a weekend uh, this past weekend. They we, We've been talking about it in the Mizzou sphere constantly. All the assistant coaches were tweeting it out. Uh, all the support staff was tweeting it out. They were talking about the summit. Uh, this was a, a recruiting event this past weekend where Missouri worked to get all of their top targets on campus at the same time. Bring in some other targets as well. Have some younger current players there and just recruit the hell out of these kids, right? Show them everything that they got. Official visits. And it apparently went very well. Uh, the big... BK wrote about all the targets that we have in the state, and I'll let him get to that in a second. But this is not unique to the Tranquist staff. Odom did this with the Tiger 10. He had he had opportunities. He had weekends like this as well, and schools do this all the time, where you basically put out your best pitch and have everybody there at the same time. Uh, and that that's what this was. Uh, but the big thing, the big news story that came out of it was Caden Green, the offensive tackle out of Kansas City, who had long been considered uh, more of an Oklahoma lean, uh, had very, very good things to say about Missouri, like things that are outside of just kind of your boilerplate. It was a great experience. I really clicked with the, with the staff, blah, blah, blah. Outside of that, it was heavier language that really, he frankly said, it's given us something to think about. So it apparently went very well. Now, BK, like I said, you talked about the talent that's in the state. You talked about the importance that, that the staff has put on recruiting in the state and the importance of this event. What did you think of the outcome of this and how do you see this kind of played out over the next couple of weeks? Well, so far, they've had one commit from it. Uh, Nick Deloach is a guy that was on campus for this event. So he was the first commit that they got. 
Um, according to Gabe DeArmond, who got those quotes from Caden uh, Green about how eh, maybe there's something more to think about here. Again, Caden Green is the offensive tackle. Lee Summit North. He's a four-star player, uh, one of the top like 50 players in the country. Um, so he's he's a big-time potential recruit. So he's got something to think about. Logan Reichert is a top 100 player nationally as well. Uh, he's an offensive tackle. He is massive. Marvin uh, Burks was on campus. Uh, Joshua Manning is a wide receiver from Lee Summit. He's looking at K-State in Mizzou. It looks like it seems like it's going to come down to one of those two spots. And he was on campus. Amir Herring was on campus. He's an offensive tackle out of Michigan. And everybody seems to believe that he's going to Michigan. But then there's mm-hmm. some that seem to believe, hey, maybe Mizzou made up some ground. So uh, that's worth keeping an eye on as well. Again, another offensive lineman. So there was some really good talent on campus. But I think the bigger picture idea here is we all remember the Tiger 10, right? And we look back at that and we're like, wow, that was a super loaded class in the state of Missouri. Somehow this is better. 10 (laughs) of the top 250 players in the country currently reside within the state of Missouri. And I'm not concluding Miles McVeigh, who lives on the other side of the state lines in East St. Louis. I'm not including anybody on the Kansas side of Kansas City. This is just in the state of Missouri. 10 of the top 250 players live here if you add in two more guys that are rated as four stars in the state of missouri right now there's 12 blue chip recruits in the state of missouri that's never happened before uh this is in terms of like since rivals started ranking players nationally Uh, This is the most talented in-state class that we have ever seen for the state of Missouri. So this is a huge, huge class, man. If Mizzou can get like five of the top 10 or five of the top 12 guys to commit to Missouri, that should be considered a super productive class. And if they're able to do that, I mean, forget what they've done in the last couple of classes. It may go down eventually as the best (laughs) class that Mizzou's had so far. And Mm -hmm. that's saying something because Eli Drinkwitz has already put together back-to-back incredible classes relative to what Mizzou's done historically recruiting-wise. Yeah, the the 2018, that that quote-unquote greatest class ever, um, that was seven blue chippers. Uh, One, two, three, four, five of the top 250. That was Trevor Trout, who ended up at USC, Michael Thompson Jr. who ended up at Oklahoma, Mario Goodrich with Clemson, Ronnie Perkins at Oklahoma, Cameron Babb at Ohio State, Daniel Parker Jr. with Missouri, and then Dallas Cradith with Iowa. Um, so that was considered the greatest class ever. And of course, the 23 class smokes and almost doubles them up as far as blue chip uh, talents in the state. Now you said, you know, five of the top 10, something like that. That ain't going to happen. I'm not saying it's it's not... There's no interest, but like, you know, Chandavian Bradley is not going to Missouri. He's got uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, and LSU, I think is what it is, but he's not coming here. So he's the number one player in the state. Rule him out. Caden Green out of Leem Summit, like you said, interest with Missouri. Jeremiah Love, who has rocketed up the recruiting rankings, running back out of uh, CBC. He has interest in Missouri. Christian Gray, I do not think Missouri has a chance with. Logan Riker, already mentioned, yes. Uh, Adepoju. At a bow war? Oh, crap. I, I worked on this all day. I think they call him PJ. Yeah, we're just going to go with PJ. I was trying to be impressive. <laughs> and I screwed it up. Anyway, he has got Missouri in his final, but he's probably a Northwestern guy through and through. Mac Markway is already at LSU. Edric Hill, 
Uh, defensive tackle out of Kansas City, probably not a Missouri lean, but Marvin Burks was on campus. Brett Norfleet is committed, and Josh Manning, as you already said, was there as well. So, all of that, all of those guys, if you get every single one, that is huge. I don't think you do, though. And part of it is just position management. You can't take every single offensive tackle that's out there. You just can't. There's not enough playing time for that sort of thing. But, you know, could you get one of those two and maybe a Miles McVay? Sure. Could you get, you know, Jeremiah Love or a Josh Manning? Absolutely. Uh, we already have Brett Norfleet. He seems pretty much committed. But yeah, you- if they get four, like given how impressive the in-state class is, I think four should be considered four a, a big time haul. Yes. And if you if you throw in Miles McVay, like he's just across state lines. I know he's not technically an in-state guy, but it's kind of like the Luther Burden thing where he might as well be an in-state player like that. That adds another blue chipper to the class as well. Yeah. And, and that's not even considering like Ja'Kai Lane, who's the highest rated three star in the state. That's not, you know, considering uh, Jaden Doss out of Peculiar, who I think is committed to Nebraska, but has some Missouri interest. Like you can really do a lot of damage by getting half or four of the top 10 or, you know, just getting some of them. The fact that Missouri's in this conversation in the first place when they weren't in the conversation five years ago with that 2018 squad, huge. Just says shows how far uh, our recruiting has come under the drink with staff. You can't get them all because that's just not how recruiting works. That's also not how roster management works. But if you get a noticeable amount in that top group, the top 10, like you said, that is such a huge win. And yes, you can be pessimistic and maybe a little acidic when you're thinking NIL and transfer portal and all that. Sure. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. I might even consider myself that on some days. Point is, This is a reflection of Missouri's brand, Missouri's reputation with elite athletes. And the fact that they're giving Missouri the time of day is number one, something I never would ever consider as a lifelong Missouri fan. But number two speaks volumes of how well this this staff can recruit and that you can recruit this talent to Missouri. You can bring in kids from state and make it cool to go to Mizzou. And that in itself is a win. Hopefully the staff keeps it up and whatever staff comes afterwards is the same thing. But this is the sort of, these are the sort of micro wins that you need to make those inroads to that elite talent to eventually bring more of it in over time. And uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm all for it. The other thing is just like the cluster talent that you're starting to accumulate. Like, let's say they're able to get two of those big tackles, right? Whether it be the kid out of Michigan or they get, um, Logan Reichert, Caden Green, or Miles McVay, two of those four, and they're able to get, so basically two blue chip talents along the offensive line in this year's mm-hmm. class. Yeah. You add that to what they currently have in terms of recent blue chip additions at wide receiver. So Luther Burden, Mookie Cooper, Dominic Lovett, those types of guys. You add that to recent blue chip quarterbacks that you've added to the mix, both in terms of mm-hmm. this year and also next you're starting to see, okay, I I could see how this kind of comes together offensively. We've already seen them start doing this on the defensive side of the ball. They've clustered that talent, especially along the defensive line. Uh, Some of that we've gotten into a number of times, but they've added a lot on the defensive line. Now it seems to be the offensive side of the ball's turn. And Mm -hmm. so when you look at just the way that the talent has set up within the state and really within their recruiting over the last few years, This is the way you have to build in the SEC. If you're going to win consistently in this conference, 
Just look at the way the 2013 and 14 teams did. What'd they do? Well, they had a bunch of dudes that were studs along the offensive line. You look to what Kentucky has done. What have they done to become a consistent top three team within the SEC East? Well, they've had nine offensive or defensive linemen drafted over the last four years. Like, it's not hard to look at where the talent is coming from within this conference. It's in the trenches. And Missouri in recent years has not kept up in that regard. And if you start doing that now, and it seems like they might be able to with this year's class and then with what they've added along the defensive line in recent years, that starts to make you a lot more interesting as you're looking towards, okay, what could the future be for this team under Eli Drinkwitz? Absolutely. I've talked about blue chip roster before. That's from uh, 247's Bud Elliott. It's not a predictor of wins. It's saying if you want to win championships, you need to have a roster with more than 50% four and five star guys to even think about winning conference national national champions for championships for sure, but also conference championships doesn't guarantee you win more games. It just, it's a qualifier for you to play at a high level. Missouri currently has 18 blue chip recruits on their roster. One, five star, 17, four stars. I don't need to look anything up. I know that's the most blue chip talent we've had on a single roster ever. I know that. And only two of them, Chad Bailey and Jelani Williams committed to the Odom staff. All the other 16 committed to Drinkwitz, either via high school or transfer portal. He is getting this roster there. A couple more years, I'm not saying we're going to be at 50%, but you're going to have a lot of four and five star options to start or to at least rotate in. And when you have that consistent level of elite talent that can take a couple plays off and someone equally talented steps on the field in their place, That is how you start hanging with the big boys, winning more games, turning the tide, all that stuff that you can think about. It starts with just hoarding that talent and bringing it in however you can. And this is easily from a, from a recruiting star standpoint, this is the most talented roster that Missouri has ever fielded where they go in the future, how they perform in the field of college (laughs) and the NFL. Don't ask me that question yet. But just on paper, this is going to be the most talented roster that they've trotted out ever. They're also very young, but this it's headed in the right direction. And really, as a college football fan, that's all you need. You need to buy into a little bit of hope that this program is headed in the right direction. And if you look at the recruiting rankings, yes, that that is backing that up. Meanwhile, their uh, oh, win total in Vegas is set at five currently. So Hell yeah, brother. SEC. <laughs> You gotta love it. That's that's the way that this goes. Um, Nate, speaking of the SEC. Oh. So scheduling is about to get an overhaul, not just within the SEC, but in the ACC as well. I saw this the other day and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I know we've we've talked a bit about pods and that's more or less what this is, but the the ACC is scheduling to or scheduling a three five five model, which to dumb this down as much as possible, let's go with Clemson's schedule, for example. Clemson will play three teams every year. They're going to play Florida State, Georgia Tech, and NC State. Everybody else has three primary opponents, so it's the same thing for them, where they've got three teams that are on their schedule every single year into perpetuity. They also will play the other 10 teams within their league. So it's Clemson, the three teams, that's four total, and you've got 14 within the ACC. So the other 10 teams, 
you're going to play each of them twice over a four-year schedule. So you'll play one team at home once, one team on the road once, and so on for every other team within the con- uh, conference. And you'll basically have it five one year, five the next year, five at home that one year, five at home the ne- on the road the next year, and so on. I love this, man. Mm-hmm. This is what when Texas and Oklahoma get to the SEC, I want the SEC to do. And then it's going to make things very difficult for Mizzou unless they get lucky. And in one year, they have like a a perfect scheduling setup where they avoid Alabama and Georgia and whoever the team is that's up and coming that year. Like if they can do that in any given year, that'd be great. But realistically speaking, it's going to make things more difficult for them. But in terms of just being a college football fan, I think this is better for all of us as fans for them to do it this way. Absolutely. And and. I want to make sure I read it right. I was on a lot of medication. It's, it's <laughs> you got the three permanent opponents, then you have five. And then the next year it's the other five. So in two yep. years you play everybody in the ACC, right? Yep. That yep. is brilliant. Cause I've also heard, heard like, Oh, well five at, you know, five. And then you just swap those same five for the different venue the next year, which I don't, I don't like that as much. No, it's basically like on odd years, right? So right. on an odd year, Clemson will play Duke, uh, Florida State, Georgia Tech, uh, Louisville, and Miami, for example. Just those mm-hmm. five teams. And then the next, so like 2023, they would play them. And then in 2025, they would play them. 2023, they're all at home. 2025, they're all on the road. So, yeah. I, I God, the ACC has had their divisions for 20 years, and I never remembered which team was in which, and now I don't have to. So I win. Um, but I love this for them because it's really cool to get a lot of variety in your college football life and getting out of divisions and seeing your entire conference, you know, those teams that you claim to be part of. uh, Yeah. That is a smart idea that creates a lot of interest. There's going to be a lot of teams who have not seen specific campuses, specific venues. uh, They, they travel to those stadiums because they never, they haven't seen, they haven't had a reason to go see it before. So there's going to be a a rush of excitement, a rush of uh, interested in buying tickets for those road games, which is great. It sucks for Mizzou. Also, the ACC is 14 teams and the SEC will be 16. So you can't yeah. do 3-5-5 and see everybody. Um, again, they're they're currently debating it was 8 versus 9. Uh, eight, eight game SEC schedule versus a 9 game SEC schedule. And then figuring out which of those opponents are permanent, which ones will be rotating, all that good stuff. You know, you're you're only going to be playing 12 games unless something happens and they send it to a 13th, which I don't know, that'd be crazy stupid. But you're not going to be able to get the full SEC schedule in two years. That's my point. So really what it is, is do you want to do three permanent opponents or one? And other than that, just make sure that you're rotating teams every two years. Right? I don't want to see the same guys back to back. I want to see every, Missouri play every single team in the SEC. And um, yeah, it's going to suck. I, I ran win totals. Um, was that last year? Yeah, it was last year when Texas and Oklahoma surprised everybody by saying they were joining. I ran win totals based off of last year's Missouri team. It ain't great, guys. It's really not great. Projected wins are like two or three conference wins per year. Um, so it's not going to be easy. But guess what? Georgia's really good, and we're never winning the East, so it's not easy now. Um it's just it's just trading the flavor of how you get kicked in the nuts. And frankly, I'd want a little bit more variety in my scrotum kicking. Uh, so I'm I'm all on board with this. And 
I don't. Do you have a preference? Eight eight games versus nine games for an SEC schedule. I mean, I, I would rather see more good games on the schedule. Sure, so sure. G- give me nine. But if you're talking about for Missouri fans that want to see more wins, then yeah, you want eight because that allows you the opportunity to have more cupcakes on your schedule. Um, so I guess it just depends what your priority is as a Mizzou fan. Do you want more opportunities to be able to win an extra game in any given year? If you value that, then go with that and go with the you probably want the eight. <laughs> yeah. I rather just see more good games like I want to watch good football, man. I'm at a point in my life where I've come to grips with the fact that the reality is Mizzou's probably not going to win a national championship like that. It's just College football, there's been like 20 teams ever to win a national mm-hmm. championship. Mizzou's not in that circle. They're probably never going to be within realistic expectations. And so I just want to have fun. Like college football for me is about having fun and enjoying the ride and seeing what the ceiling is for these respective teams. And if that means winning eight games regularly instead of nine or winning six games in your typical season instead of seven, I'm good with that. That's yeah. fine by me. Yeah. That's how I view non-con scheduling too, though. So like, I know I, I, I like know. the fact that Mizzou's playing K-State this year. I think it's a really fun game. I'm going to try to make it out to Manhattan for that game because I think it's so cool. Um, those are the kinds of games like I like the local slash regional scheduling mm-hmm. of playing against power five opponents. I want to see more of Mizzou versus Iowa or Michigan State or K-State or Nebraska. Like those are games that I find to be really fun. Um, and I know that a lot of people would just say, eh, why don't you just have another game against like Missouri state or something on there? <laughs> I'll raise my hand to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm good with one, one per year. Like I, I this non-conference schedule, uh, for the upcoming year for 22, I, I have learned to love it because you are playing a really mediocre to bad G5 team one of the worst college football programs in the world. And then K-State. And, well, and the FCS team, obviously, but like, and then K-State. So like you got one really tough out-of-conference challenge and then three should be guaranteed wins in the non-con. I, I like that. I don't want any more Power Fives outside of that because I do like wins. And as much as you want to see interesting games, they're not interesting if you're only winning two or three games a year. But I That's understand fair. your point. Um. But yeah, I, I know Eli Drinkwitz is on board with nine. I think most of the coaches are on board with nine. Uh, but there is something to be said for eight as far as getting wins. Um, I I don't care. As long as I get to see the Missouri play the entire SEC uh, before I die, uh, which we'll see how long that's going to be. Um, but no, I, three years to, to play the entire SEC, beautiful. Because I, I, when was the last time well, I can answer, actually answer that question because I look at the schedule religiously. Point is, hardly played Auburn. Hardly played Alabama. Uh, Last played, time they played Auburn was the burn the yeah, burn the tape the, game, right? Yeah, yeah. that's when he <laughs> stuck everything in trash can and lit it on fire. Yes, that was 2017. I will never forget that. Oh, that is the best post-game press conference I've ever attended. I believe that. was that. when I was still covering Mizzou day-to-day. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> was that... Okay, that also coincided with this. These aren't no damn dark days, right? Like that was the same press conference. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I remember yes. watching that because he like he took his sweatshirt and like wiped his face like he just got done with the workout and he was so upset. And I was just like, I, something was going to happen. And then we find out about the trash can. Just beautiful, ah, Barry. 
They're going to be. It was so smart. Like it's the honestly, it was the smartest thing he's ever done because like they had just lost 51 to 14 and they they had previously lost the the week before 35 to three against Purdue. They had previously lost the week before that 31 to seven, 31 to 13 against uh, South South Carolina. Carolina. They had also in week one given up 43 points to Missouri State. So you're one in three. Your team stinks. There is clearly a trajectory that it is on, and it is not good. And oh, by the way, you've got Kentucky and Georgia the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. So like he knew at the time it was about to get worse, and so did all of us. And he set the narrative of this is what you're all going to be talking about. Instead of it being us being one in three, yeah. you're going to talk about this of what I just did. Mm-hmm. That's really smart, honestly. I don't think he meant because it. Because then they finished <laughs> seven and five and, uh, you know, yeah. nobody cared. No one cared, man. Except for uh, Tom Herman tweaking his nipples at the bowl game. That was the other thing that got talked about that season. Very upsetting. Just a weird, upsetting year of football, right? 2017. Um I forgot how we got to this, but scheduling is good. Scheduling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if if they went nine, out of curiosity, if they went to the nine, mm-hmm. what would you want a like you don't even have to name teams, but like what do what would you say for the other three games you would typically expect in the non con? Uh FCS, bad G five, and sure, give me a regional P five. Iowa, okay. K State, um, Illinois. Love to get the Illinois series back going, but Something like that. And make it also in my perfect world, because you ask, you start with the FCS, then you move to the G5, then you move to the P5. Just a nice ramp up to the season. That's all I ask. What about you? That sounds right. Um, I kind of like starting off the season with like a big game. I I know nobody's going to agree with that, but I I, like if Mizzou started the season with K-State, I just think that would be so much fun. I... I I think those are kind of like the Alabama does that right where they play against like Wisconsin or something in week one. I just always find those to be really enjoyable games. And instead, it's going to be like 100 degrees. Mizzou's going to be playing against Louisiana Tech and nobody's going to want to be there. Um, but it's Thursday. So, hey, I already told you I'm going to be there. It's going to be Thursday night. Y- yeah, that, that changes things. Th- Thursday, that that makes it honestly, in my opinion, a lot cooler. Oh, yeah. But I would prefer it to be that way. But like, for example, uh, 2023, if they end up going to the nine conference games, Mizzou mm-hmm. has South Carolina, South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, K-State and Memphis on their schedule currently. I'm assuming you would want them to drop the Memphis game if they yes. can. Yes. And or, I would prefer they drop Middle Tennessee. South Dakota is no treat, but uh, yeah, I'd rather drop Memphis. Middle Tennessee is a train wreck. They will probably have a new coach at that point, but um, I don't blame you because that would not be that would not be an interesting game. And I know that's what that, you're that's, looking for. That, and that's kind of the difference between like the way that my scheduling philosophy is and a lot of others. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong on this, but um, that's kind of the way that I would approach it. Like 2026, for example, Mizzou has Kansas, Illinois, Park, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Troy on the schedule that year. Mm. I would want them to get rid of Troy. You don't want to play Barry Odom's Troy in 2026? <laughs> I'm kidding. He's going to take the Memphis job. Um, I was no. about to say, I, I don't want to play against when is the next Memphis one? They don't have them again on the schedule, but if they had Memphis in like 2024, that, yeah. that would be the game that I would not want to have. Yeah. I don't want to play Troy because those dirty uh, jerks uh, killed Kelly Bryant last time we played him. And basically yeah. that was the end of the season. So screw you, Troy. You don't bring anything good to the table. 
You ruined 2004 and you ruined 2018. I hate you. But also Trojans are a super cool, super cool mascot. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, we, we, we've already talked about the permanent opponents. Arkansas, Oklahoma, South Carolina. That's where you stand on your three, right? You know, that's one of those. It's like, I, I think the third one, it, Mizzou's just going to get whoever doesn't have a third opponent elsewhere, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. Like, I, I would like to have it be either Kentucky or South Carolina or Vanderbilt just because they stink every year. But everybody's going to put Vanderbilt as their third opponent. So Mizzou's not going to get them just yeah. because of the politics of it all. Um, so yeah. my guess would be Mizzou ends up getting probably South Carolina. I, I think it'll be OU, South Carolina, and uh, Arkansas. That that seems right to me. I'm okay with that. I don't know what a Brent Venables Oklahoma team is going to look like. I know what a Jeff Levy offense looks like, so they should be okay, but I don't know how Venables defense pairs with that. Um, but I, I would be okay with that. Everyone seems to be sipping the uh, the Shane Beamer Kool-Aid, especially since you got Spencer Rattler on campus. But um, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. Kind of like Missouri. You know, they recruit really well, but what did you actually do on the field? Uh, that'll that'll be proven this year. So we'll we'll see if we need to be scared of a South Carolina permanent matchup. But, man, come on. Columbia East, Columbia West, two programs that are basically at the same spending level, same state uh, population, same sort of support internally. Uh, recruits same type of athlete like that one just makes way too much sense to to leave it out there and and I don't know who South Carolina is going to want but that one is a particularly that is that is the budding rivalry that we really have it would be yeah. a shame if the SEC got rid of that you know yeah I think South Carolina and Kentucky kind of both fit into that criteria sure um, I would say South Carolina has more history with Mizzou than Kentucky does now it's both of them are very recent <laughs> I understand that but um, I think I would lean more towards South Carolina, but the Kentucky games are always close, man. It's a super fun competitive rivalry. So either of those two series, I think would be cool. Yeah. So on a stoops left, I'd be fine with Kentucky forever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, God, are we stretching enough? Yeah, I think so. I think we're good. You got a 30 minute podcast on June 29th. Don't say we never did anything for you. Uh, BK, any parting shots? I don't think so, man. It sounds like recruiting should be picking up within the next couple of weeks or so. Some of these guys might be looking to commit quicker uh, than expected. So within the next week or two, I maybe even um, by the time you're listening to this podcast, some will have or are expecting to soon commit. So when, the, when we talk next, hopefully we'll have more resolution on where some of these blue chip recruits from in-state are heading. Yeah, I know July 7th, July 8th, 9th, that's kind of been targeted for a couple mm-hmm. of guys, so... Um, it could be a very happy day soon. It could be a very sad day soon, but we'll uh, we'll talk about it next time we get together because that's going to be our show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.